Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps His Dark Materials with Peter Seigel. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are joined by Peter Seigel. Hello. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, Greta was just pointing out to me before we started that I haven't been taking a lot of notes. Well, you showed up with notes this yes. time, which uh, I don't think to be I've a more seen responsible you doing recapper several weeks. Been. Greta, could so you I, help paint a picture for me? Is it like a long scroll as if we no, were in a medieval? About, no, it's an iPad. It's, an, it's okay, like okay. one page on an iPad screen. Right. But I want everybody to know that among my notes and whinges, mostly whinges, <laughs> there's one that's in all caps. Mm. And I want you guys to oh. guess when I whinge it. Which that one is? You don't write in. I just all my stuff is in all caps. Well, I'm. I, I t- you. You handwrite. You have lovely handwriting. My handwriting is illegible, so I type all my notes. So but I you have don't to use make, like, all caps all the time. Yeah, no. Like I mean, the bear CGI is great. Ready me for battle. Holy sh! This poor woman. Those were all in, in yeah. all caps. Those are your all caps. Notes. Those are, those are my caps. all caps notes. Yeah, I have yeah. other notes. But I'm going to make you guess what in. mine was okay. when we get to it. Great. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so today we're recapping season one, episode seven of His Dark Materials. It was called The Fight to the Death, mm, which why. makes a lot of sense having does. now seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought this episode was remarkable for a number of reasons, but mainly because of like the quick back and forth between... Lyra's world and our world. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting how quickly they would do these like tiny scenes in Will's world and then go back to it. It was interesting as one word. <laughs> I, 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 that generally threw me. The rhythm of it seemed odd. I kind of liked the dissonance between them. I thought it was really interesting how quickly you could tell if we were in Svalbard or if we were in our world. Yes. Because the, you know, like even the kind of like milky glass that was in the front door of Will's house, yeah. like you could just immediately tell like, oh, yep, we're not, we're not, we're not in the bear castle yeah, anymore. Yeah, so you're giving them credit for being able to really distinguish between an actual <laughs> set and a CGI <laughs> bear am. palace. I am. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was great. And it also makes me think that instead of actually doing that in this recap where we jump back and forth, we should just discuss what happens in our world, in Will's storyline, and then get to the bear CGI. I like your That thinking. would help my brain, I think. I did enjoy actually watching it. It does also make me think in terms of the way the pacing is changing and cutting between worlds yeah, that we're the closer pacing, than ever before yes. to them smashing together in some yes. exciting way. Which I thought was cool. But Peter wasn't into it. So I wasn't. Whatever. I was into it. Well, good. I'm glad that's majority rules. So <laughs> when has it not around here? <laughs> um, okay, so the our world storylines. We have Boreal. We've got him like sitting in the van watching John Perry videos. How many creepy guys does he have with him? Just one. He's got two creepy. He's mustache got two creepy dudes. guys. Do yeah. they look vaguely similar? Because yeah, I they tr- both have weird mustaches. I had trouble keeping them separate. I thought they were just one person until yeah. this episode. I believe actually. Yeah. yeah. One is the guy who he originally met and who like he went to his house, right? And they mm-hmm. met in the coffee shop and then they were at, I think, his house. And then the other yeah. guy seems to be also mustached. <laughs> well, is also mustached. Yeah. <laughs> I have some questions. Okay. So th- the plot is about Boreal trying to finally get the letters. Here yeah. are the questions. Yeah. Why didn't he do this two episodes ago when mm-hmm. the letters were established and he found out about them? I mean, I'm not sure if it was two episodes ago, but it was a while ago. Well, he didn't find out about them then. Will found out about them. So is this then he when he's He didn't find looking... out about them until he was sitting in this van watching the same YouTube video. Yes, when he's watching the Hut Priest video. Yeah. 
Um, hot Priest YouTube. Hot Priest YouTube. Hot Priest Tube. He's watching <laughs> that. Know. And he says, oh, my gosh, there are letters. I shall go back to the house. So he doesn't know about the letters, these letters that we've heard so much about until that moment. Is that is that the theory? I, I think that's the theory. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's how and, I read it. And also, like, they have tapped or wiretapped or whatever, you know, put some sort of software on their computers, which is, I think, how they're finding out things about, like, their bank accounts and all this other stuff. So I kind of read it as because Will had watched it. He was seeing what Will was doing on his computer, and that's how he even found the video in the first place. But maybe I read into that more than there was. I like that, though. That's giving some credit. There was a prior bit with one of the computer, one of the creepy guys with a mustache. It turns out he's a computer guy, which is why he's so pale and sallow, and he had apparently found out about the bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera. So here's another question. Now I'm imagining a very tanned, creepy mustached man. Not going to find one. So. They're, they're all, I mean, it's like absolutely rule of Hollywood TV. All computer guys have to be pale and sallow. Okay. Yeah. They used to be chubby, but they've moved away from that stereotype, yeah, yeah. which I appreciate. <laughs> Most sort of CBS uh, crime shows actually now have like a, a sassy lady IT person. That's also nice. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Um, here's the second question. So, all right. We knew about the letters. He didn't know about the letters till now. Great. Why does he decide to go get the letters by trying to walk into the house when the mom is there rather than doing what, of course, they're going to do and they do later, which is break in well, and steal them and when they're I, not home. Also, yeah. when Boreal shows at Elaine's house and like tries to sweet talk her out of the letters. Yeah. It was it did make me think like what like he could also use that. force, right? We, we've, like we've had that conversation before when he approached her on well, the street. Well, he didn't ask about the letters at that point. He's asking he has a specific ask this time around, which is like, okay, fine, but also like if you knew about a gateway to a whole nother universe that you actually were from and you mm-hmm. were just visiting in this one why wouldn't you just like whack her over the head? I guess because yeah. you don't know where the letters are. And also are. he I mean he, he Right. He lives in another universe. So what 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 are we to him? You know, it's not like he's going to get caught. He'll go back right. to the door. Yeah, he'll and, be fine. and he works for this insanely evil organization called the Magisterium. In fact, we've seen him kill somebody or at least almost kill. Well, uh, she's yes. never come back. Yeah. The journalist with the butterfly demon. Right. Yes. And if that's the kind of person we're dealing with, why doesn't he just walk in and shoot her in the head? Or something. That's yeah. the kind of evil we're supposed to believe he is. It seems strange. Why are they doing this? It was weird. I did think the the moment when uh, his snake demon kind of peeks yeah. out of his shirt Ooh, and she creepy. says something about it and then he gaslights her. Yeah. Was super f***ed up. Yeah. But although, again, if he if he wants to get the letters, he doesn't care about her per se. Right. Well, why does he care about her? Why doesn't he say, yes, that's yes. my snake. I'm a well, scary person. Give me the letters and my I snake mean, will bite you. I think. Why the, is it necessary? Like, because. So you're, hang on. Hang on, Peter. So you're <laughs> suggesting that you would have preferred dialogue of this is yes. my scary snake. It will bite you. Exactly. Well, as opposed to because that would make sense that he's actually trying to threaten and, and get whatever he wants from her. As opposed to once again trying to protect this false identity he has as a now it's apparently some sort of British security agent. Yeah. Why is that important? What does that get him? I mean, I don't know when he when his motivation to go right there is just to get the damn letters. There is some emotional manipulation that I think makes sense from a from a creepo. Yeah, but not from a larger story point of view. He doesn't need to manipulate her. He needs to get the letters. <laughs> You're so upset. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I do Should think we... that the letters are a clue, but he also probably thinks that she knows more than is written in the letters. The fact that this money keeps getting doled out to her, I think he assumes that the letters have information, but that she also is a valuable source of information that only exists in her head. So if she's knocked out or killed or something else, he's less likely to figure that out. And she seems so fragile 
that he's probably still thinking it might work to just get her to tell him everything that she knows, which may or may not also be in the letters. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you have to make that up. You have to make that up to justify the scene. It's not there. But I will not. I will stop whinging. I have. Will you? You're you're whinged out at the moment. I stopped whinging about that scene. <laughs> there are more scenes to come. Do you think is is now the time? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we actually this was. I want to give full credit to Brendan Banazak for for finding this, and we're just gonna we're gonna go back in time for a second, Peter. This isn't going to end well for me. I'm really glad we're getting voicemails and that you're playing them for us, Greta, because it actually, it, it, it sort of humbles me a little that I'm sort of, you know, criticizing this thing because it's not as skillful as Game of Thrones or it's not as well acted or it's not as... A, this is a kid's TV show based on a kid's book. <laughs> yeah, chill out, Peter. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And I thought of that again. I remember that. And I feel like Samuel L. Jackson at the end of Pulp Fiction. I'm trying to be the shepherd, but it's hard, Ringo. (laughs) It's really hard. I feel it's reminiscent of in Parks and Recreation when Ron Swanson is going to get back together with Tammy, too. And the only way they can try to convince him not to is to play video of himself explaining to Ron. (laughs) Yes. Why Ron shouldn't do that. Yes. Yes. Which was great. Uh, oh God! Talk about and, but okay. I, I, but j- just to you, you would okay. You're right, and I continue to whinge. But at this, there was a moment later on in the episode. It was the scene between Serafina and Lee, the only one they've got in this episode, where I was watching this dialogue, listening to this dialogue, and I said to myself, "Who who are they writing for? Because adults won't buy this dialogue. It's leavened with bullshit, if I can say that. But kids won't like it either. I I just felt that." A number of times in this show, it seems they think they're making it for someone dumber than they are, but they're not quite sure who that person is. I mean, the mere fact of it airing, like ostensibly being a kid's show, but airing at 9 p.m. Yeah. Is kind of an interesting, like, contradiction of terms. Yeah. And a young adult like, book, but a very dark young adult book. Yes. Right. Which, uh, yeah. which, again, as I've mentioned, at least to me, was much of its appeal. How how much that Philip Pullman, the author of the books, trusted his young readers to go to pretty dark places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not wrong. I will say that. That's as close as she's ever going to come, That's ladies as close, and gentlemen. Yeah. So, okay. So, Will finds out his dad's alive. Yes. Um, or his dad could be alive, yes. I guess, is a better way of putting mm-hmm. it. And what else do we have? His house is ransacked. His ha- he comes well, not home. quite. They break in, but he manages to trick the guy to falling well, over. Well, but the-, the first time he comes home with his mom, right? His mom comes and meets him at school. Yeah. She's freaked out because the dude with the snake. And he's like, Mom, this is wild, but yeah. okay. They go back home. Somebody's been, like, somebody's rummaged through the house pretty intensely. Right. So he takes his mom to, was it the wrestling coach? The I boxing, the, the boxing, boxing coach. Boxing it took coach. me a while to figure who that was. He takes his mom to the boxing coach, leaves her there for safekeeping, goes back to the house, to he says, to clean up. And then, and he grabs the letters, and it's like right as he's about to read the letters, right, that he hears the front door open. Right. Somebody's coming back. Somebody's coming back. Uh, <laughs> Can we just pause? Because I thought <laughs> yeah. the line that the boxing coach said of, I have some spare pajamas. Oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> was particularly odd. Yeah. It's like, well, thank God that was yeah, the continuity was the issue that we were worried I about. I didn't have appropriate nightwear, sleepwear. <laughs> now we do. I can stay here. Anyway. Um, so why is So if they've ransacked the place, then why are they coming back? Because they didn't find the letters. 
because they're in that cool sewing machine. Yes. And he they, and he defeats the evil guy by scaring him into falling backwards yeah, over a railing. he accidentally kills him. You think he's dead? I think he's dead. Oh. I'm pretty sure that is from the books, and I just forgot about it until it happened. I haven't read the second book, which is, well, Will Perry appears, so I don't know. Uh, could be wrong about yeah. that, but I think so. Anyway, so, and then the, the last scene we have of him essentially is walking past the boxing coach's house. Right. Not going to see his mother, and with a backpack full of stuff, so, like, ostensibly... He's running away. Yeah, sensibly he's running away or he's running away to find his father or to... We don't know. So let me ask our control, Trish, a question. Do you find all of this interesting? Do you find Will Parry, the boy... Like 100%? Like, like, oh, wow, what an interesting young man. I'm very interested to find out what happens next. Or are you waiting around to find out why this is important? Uh, I mean, I know enough to know that he... I was told by a bird demon... That he's important. So I, right. I I trust the narrator. Did you do some Googling on that one? Well, no, the, he's like, no, his, the his fate is tied to... Yeah. Oh, you mean a literal bird demon. Yeah, the, Got the, it. The uh, <laughs> Seraphina's demon. Did you think did that, that was little... my shorthand for Twitter? Yeah, I thought you were euphemizing. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Twitter is my bird demon? <laughs> oh, I hate Twitter too much for it to be my demon. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. No, but like, so, you know, I've been told, and I also like have, have picked up, even from the very first episode, people were like, check it out in this moment in the opening credits, you can yeah. see Will it's going Will. up these stairs while Lyra goes down these stairs. And so I know that he is about to be very important, but yeah, it's... It's like a slower boil towards, you know, something very, very interesting happening to him. But because his dad is Andrew Scott, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun and important. Um, I think that he's actually doing a really nice job of of portraying someone who's still a kid but is clearly have has to care for a parent. Yeah. So he's like an interesting, nuanced character to me that way. Um and I still don't really understand Boreal. Like, I, I'm much more interested, actually, honestly, in Will Perry and Elaine, because I just think that the acting has been really nice and mm-hmm. and all that, than I am sort of worried about them and their fate because of Boreal, because I just still don't understand why Boreal is obsessed with, right. with, with Andrew Scott, with Grumman. John Perry, yeah. With the many-named man. Yes. The many-named man. Yeah, he's pretty much just a creeper. Because, yep. like, he already knows how to cross between worlds, so... Yeah, why does he need him? Yeah. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, should we go to Is there anything left Svalbard? to be said about our world at this point? I know. I mean, do you have any other complaints <laughs> any you'd like complaints? to officially yes. register? No. And they could never <laughs> afford that house. Move on. <laughs> that house is much nicer than the yes. apartment they're in in the books. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to rewind back to the beginning of the episode. Will you do that again, please? No. Okay, so we had that amazing pre-credit scene with Mrs. Coulter back yes. in Bullvanger. Yes, looking at the machine going, I knew I shouldn't have put in the thing where you push all the buttons, it blows up. Darn it. Who would ever thought someone would push all the buttons? Oh, my God. But she also screams like yes. a very scary Is that the second or third time she's done that? I think it's the third. Yeah. And she's just screamed. And I'm wondering if they've if they've gone to that well a little much. <laughs> To have just That's the next way of yeah, just to have this to have the complaint. villain of the piece, the person who we're supposed to fear, just seem unhinged sometimes. Well, yeah, I don't know. I kind of liked it, and then that conversation she had with Cora, I thought oh, that was, was some conversation. And like they cut out your demon, not your brain, and yeah, Cora well, just yeah. repeating the same yeah. stuff over and, and over. And then she strangles her. Yeah, I thought she was going to kill her like uh, the Nazi and in Inglorious Bastards, just wring her neck, but she didn't. 
And again, it just seemed like she's just so impetuous and angry and not in control of herself, which is a note for a character, I guess. I don't remember that from the book. Um, I don't know if it's a positive one. I kept thinking about how, like, there's for when it, when specifically when talking about villains, there's good crazy and bad crazy. So, like, good crazy is Ramsay Bolton. One of the, like, most terrifying villains from Game of Thrones. Yes. And what I mean by that is, like, his craziness makes makes him scarier because he has no morals. He'll do anything at any time. That's good crazy? Well, I mean, good crazy in the sense, like, it makes for a good villain. If a villain is crazy in a good villainous way that makes you, you know, villains have a purpose to play. You're supposed to fear them and worry about what they're going to do to the heroes. And, like, in Ramsay's mind, everything he's doing is on purpose. It's like a meticulous evil. Yeah. While this kind of crazy just makes her seem un- unbalanced and just, again, I used the word I used last week when I was talking about their version of the rescue scene, weak. She just seems sort of like weak and at the mercy of events and just not a particularly scary villain. I mean, I think that nuance is actually something that I don't mind because it makes yeah. them less a Bond villain and more just another character who is complicated. Yeah, I don't think she's supposed to be a scary villain. And I think it reinforced for me the idea that because she is somebody who cannot control her emotions, she's sort of at zero or 100 miles per hour. And that makes this whole idea of her thinking her demon is the reason she feels these feelings and that's why she hates her demon and that's why she wants to sever people from their demons is because she thinks it would be a cure to this thing that is a problem for her, which is having, you know, mitigated emotions. Yes, I can see that. Doesn't I don't buy it, but I can see it. I think that's a coherent argument. Okay, so from there, Lyra lands in the what we called last week the Theon and Sansa snow, yes. a reference to them it w- jumping it off actually, in the, winter. The, apparently, one thing we haven't been able to do, uh, film and television industry, has come up with really convincing fake snow yet. Mm. It all looks like um, laundry detergent. Isn't that usually what it is? It's like soap yeah, flakes or like something? Yeah, soap flakes. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't look cold. It doesn't look like it melts. It just doesn't look like snow. Yeah. But that's another story. But we know she survived her fall from yes. the balloon. Onto, onto the Theon and, snow. And she sees a bear. Yes. And she's like, oh, great. It's my friend Yorick, who I spoon all the time. Yes. And it's a terrifying armored bear yeah. who is not her spoon buddy. No. At all. Right. I like so, that she yells really loud and then Pan goes, yeah, maybe don't. <laughs> I know. I know. I love like Pan as the voice of caution all the time. He's just like, seriously, like you're going to be that reckless? Are you sure? Were you happy that you got your bears, Trish? You oh. said you, you were, you, you'd be willing to give up demons if you got lots of bears. I got some bears. You did. I got great many bears. Yeah, I thought they were pretty impressive. They bears. were very impressive. Yeah, the CGI is very good. Very yes. cool. Um, okay, so we go to bear prison. Mm-hmm. She goes straight to jail and she meets that super crazy guy. Right. The super crazy academic who is in the book. He is a slightly longer scene, but his purpose is more or less the same, which is that he gives Lyra the most important piece of information, which is essentially that. Let's uh, listen to it. Okay. Let's listen. Jorik should have been king, but was disgraced and exiled. You will never be allowed back in the palace. Hatred is a powerful motor. King Yopa hates every inch of Yorick. You're stuck here as am I. Till you wilt, or they break you. 
Patricia, do you remember, it's been a very long time since I saw Aladdin, but is there a character who kind of reminds... Yes, there is this right? prisoner yeah. who it turns out is okay. the evil vizier in disguise who tells Aladdin that he must that he needs to go get this in lamp. Disgu- wow, you remember I, that very I had young children who watched that movie Peter. a lot. Yeah, but that would have been a while ago. I know. <laughs> True, but nonetheless, I remember. Yes, there is a prisoner. Okay. And what's what I guess what's different is in Aladdin, that prisoner has a strong motivation for giving that exposition. And <laughs> this, he's just like, why it's, pr- to steal a joke from Austin Powers, it's Professor Exposition. <laughs> but actually, that Professor was weirdly X. not the exact bit of information, although all that was important that I was thinking of when oh. I said the important bit of information, which is to remind us that Yofer, the evil bear king, oh, wants a demon, wants, yeah. wants to be human, yes. which inspires Lyra's whole scam, which is direct from the book. you can't trick a bear, mm-hmm. but a bear but, who wants so badly to be human mm-hmm. can be tricked. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so she, she comes up with this plan to trick him. It's a very so, good plan. It's a very good plan. So uh, this is straight from the book. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that they kept that, you know, intact. But did you buy it? Did it make sense to you that uh, Yofer would be fooled that way? I guess if no one had ever thought that you could sever a human from their demon before, but that's what they were doing uh, with Mrs. Coulter, then why not add demons? Yeah. I right. mean, it's it's all outlandish enough that it would make sense. And also, um, she's... A child, so it's also sort of like, how did this little girl get here unless this is true, right? Like, it's sort of a a bear who wants to believe certain things and is sort of, you know, I mean, sometimes people get into positions of power, right? And they maybe uh, believe what they're told instead of questioning it. And maybe they will sort of blindly seek whatever it is they want at the expense of anyone around them. I have no parallels in our world for leaders like this. Uh But I think that, like, some big bears who are kind of dumb would probably fall for this. Probably. Do you think it's fair to say that any uh, leader who yells, ready me for battle, is kind of inept and lame? I think- oh, I love that. Really? Oh, it's great. <laughs> I yell that all the time. Nobody ever does anything. I yell yeah, that every right? morning when I get up and go to work. Uh-huh. Ready me for battle. And then they put your bicycle helmet like, yeah, on you? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> my bicycle helmet with my, little, with my little rear view mirror for safety. <laughs> Um, so we did get some voicemails about the question we put out regarding which is if the bear CGI made it worth the lack of demons. Okay. So let's let's listen. Hi, Peter, Trisha, and Greta. Uh, my name's Amina. In um, sorry, that's my dog snoring. In Central Valley of California, <laughs> if I had a demon, I have come to the conclusion it would be a hooded crow. As to your question about team demon or like team CGI bear, I'm totally cool sacrificing CGI demons to have more CGI bears because the bears are like chef's kiss, like what I'm most jazzed about. But it's a bummer that the reality of that is sacrificing development between demon human relationships. Yeah. Um, really enjoying the podcast, really enjoying all of Peter's whinging. You are the mouthpiece for me. And so um, don't stop. Thanks. I guess that's a different kind of appeal for people. It's like, oh, you know, for my entertainment, I will watch a television show I don't like and then listen to a podcast in which somebody Mm -hmm. explains why I don't like it. I should have had Justin edit that out so that wasn't in there. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Let's listen to another opinion from Carrie. Justin, if there's any praise of Peter, can we just skip over (laughs) it? Isn't that a general rule we have? Hi, Nerdette and Peter. This is Carrie calling from Maine. My demon would be a saw-wet owl. Oh. Um, And I'm calling because I 
just finished the your episode in which you asked if we were okay with the lack of demons if it meant bears and I am I guess I really just want more of everything I I do not want to sacrifice the bears but I do think that the lack of demons is really problematic it just it frustrates me so much because the fact that the kids were not you know looking to their demons for comfort when they were in Mulvanger all of that just it it makes it harder to understand the stakes I think anyway I have a lot of feelings about this I did say to my boyfriend when we were watching that if they had hired me as a demon consultant it, it would have been a lot better but I am still really enjoying the show I'm really enjoying listening to all of you so thank you so much and I can't wait for next week I do wish there was someone in the credits listed as Demon Wrangler. Yeah, that would be cool. Demon Consultant. And then like the ASPCA, no no demons were harmed in the making of this. Carrie, that was a great voicemail, but next time just pull over, girl. Yeah. Yeah, don't risk your life in order to whinge about this TV show. I wouldn't. Uh, We have one more voicemail that is on this topic, so I think we should just play it right now. This is Debbie, who's providing kind of an alternate viewpoint. Well, hello, Nerdette and Peter. Um, This is Debbie. I live here in Chicago. My demon would probably be that little yellow finch that eats all my sunflowers off my porch every summer. Um, Speaking of demons, if you had not said something about where are all the demons, I don't know that I would have even noticed. The ones you do meet are so sort of interesting and charming that, I don't know, I get sidetracked easily. Why don't they have actual live animals as stand-ins, they don't have to talk, and that would give us a sense that, like, oh, look, there are everybody's demons, dogs and cats and hedgehogs and ferrets, that you could actually use real animals for and then not have to pay for all that CGI. It's a thought. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I noticed when they were toward the end of the episode in the scene in the hangar where they seemed to be arming themselves for a big battle with lots Mm -hmm. of guns. I didn't Mm -hmm. know they had guns like that, but be that as it may. I noticed there were a bunch of characters in the background walking with, I assume, dog demons. Yeah. Who look yeah. like dogs. Yeah. And I actually wondered at that moment, are those real dogs? Yeah. Because you could easily, like, just walk along with a dog, on a, even on a leash, and, and erase the leash. And that yeah. would probably be a lot easier. Well, and I did notice in the Bullvinger episode last week, like, there are just a lot of dog and bird demons, I yeah. think, because it's easy to put them on screen relatively. Yeah. yeah and and is, remember, PETA has um, called out the show for using real animals and... They were arguing that, you know, that's not necessary because CGI exists and they don't want anyone to sort of put animals through that's true. unnatural that's things on set. And so, yeah, some of the dogs, I think, are definitely real. I don't know if any of the birds are, but they are definitely sometimes just using dogs. Yeah. Well, and it is, you know, animal welfare issues aside, it is kind of hilarious to picture if there were just like ferrets and hedgehogs and snakes. Yes, and that would just be hilarious. Like whole, and like all of a sudden then, you know, you've got your extra in the background, like dropping the hedgehog on accident <laughs> or something like <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it could introduce a lot of issues, but yeah, I guess so. And then you got to get hedgehogs union cards, and how do you exactly. do that? Exactly. Yeah, you know, that's just a lot union of union hedgehogs. Speaking are of the wrangling, worst. they're so prickly. <laughs> Anybody? Good one. Anybody? <laughs> Doing um, what we can here to provide entertainment. <laughs> Moving on. So I am very curious to hear what both of you thought of the fight to the death scene. Uh, not only because the CGI was, in fact, amazing, but I thought they made a really interesting choice of not actually showing Yorick killing Yofer and just showing Lyra kind of at the forefront, hearing it and 
being traumatized by it. I have I have strong feelings about this. So, Trish, why don't you go first? <laughs> well, first of all, why were the armored bears not wearing their armor to fight in? Oh, you mean the thing I wrote in all caps <laughs> oh, in my notes ding, when ding, I ding, wrote, ding, ding, why ding. are the armored bears fighting without armor? <laughs> You're not even going to back up that, off that mic, Trisha? huh? Literally everybody in this studio, there are three other people, they all backed away from me. <laughs> well, we were just started. hoping you would actually back off that <laughs> mic if you're going to start yelling, dude. Yes. I mean, it's not. It's like, they, he, it's like, yeah, huh, Rick <laughs> runs up wearing his armor. Oh, great. You've arranged this fight to the death. First thing I do, take off the armor. Well, it does raise the question of what ready me for battle means. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ready me for battle. Take off my armor. <laughs> I can see how the arm, like the armor, is an unfair advantage, right? It's like it's hand-to-hand combat. It's like you don't get your fancy weapons, right. or protection. But they're armored bears. They don't have weapons. They have armor, right? And they don't get to use the armor during the fight to the death. I think that's reasonable. As Irene Adler says in BBC Sherlock, you know, I'm going to wear my battle suit, and by that she means she's going to be naked in the fight. So you know, yes. To the Brits, readying for battle. Maids taking off all their clothes. <laughs> Missed that in Dunkirk. Um, <laughs> the thing, I'm sitting there going, why did they do that? Did someone make a choice? If they made a choice, why didn't they put that into the show? Something like, you know, Yorick saying, we do this without our armor. Or was it yet another question of the CGI budget? Is it that no, harder to... No, it can't to, be. To, it can't be. How could, why is it harder to animate two bears fighting with armor than without? It just made no sense to Is me. it in the books? No, in the books, they fight with armor. With in armor. fact, this is why I have strong feelings about it. It is <laughs> perhaps my favorite scene in the book. Uh-huh. Uh, not I, only because yeah, I'm like a boy kinda... and I like fights, but there's something about... Because I'm a boy and I like fights. stereotypes, yeah, you know yeah. what? You know, my, my, do you want to just my daughter, for a second? The patriarchy speaking, so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. We a toxic masculinity jingle. Uh huh. Yeah, we do. When my youngest daughter was about six, she described boys' tastes and things, Uh and she said they're just like blah blah violence, blah blah violence. (laughs) And I'm like, she's so right. There's something about that scene in the book that's great. For one thing, it's written in such a way that you don't know Yurik's going to win, and that that. Sort of yeah, I thought that kind of beat, played out that in the beat in which he show. seems defeated, uh, but also just being the intens- dragged by his throat. Yeah, oh. that was bad. That was good. That was fine. But the in the intensity of the relationship between Lyra and Yorick, there's this moment where Lyra is convinced that Yorick is about to die, and she wants to look away, but she says that no, she will look at him so that if he looks to her. <laughs> He will see her, I believe the phrase is, eyes shining with love. And it's actually moving. Yeah. And so I was very excited about this scene. And uh, it was better than some other things in this that I have, you know, been disappointed in. But the lack of armor made me a little crazy. And, I, and also the end of the fight is extremely violent. Uh, basically, uh, Yorick, with a huge swipe of his paw after he's, again, lured Yofer into thinking he's wounded. He plays possum, right? Yes, he does. He or, yeah, very large possum. He basically smashes off Yorick's jaw and then rips his throat out and then eats his heart because that's what bears do. And right, you're not going to show that. It's a kid's show. And it's one thing to describe it in a kid's book, another thing to show it in a kid's show. But there was something very savage about the way the bears deal with each other that made them seem alien and scary, even Yorick, which is part of his appeal. He's a scary guy. Mm. You know what it reminded me of was Grizzly Man. Did you see that? You mean the Grizzly Man where the guy 
gets eaten by the bears. Where he gets eaten by the bears, but when they do the documentary about it, the filmmaker doesn't right. play the tape that they have of this guy getting eaten by bears. It was, it was Werner Herzog, Yes. Right? they. It's just him listening to the audio of the man getting... We don't hear the audio. He is sort right. of like the lens through which we hear the audio. Yeah, and that, and that I think, given the, the needle they had to thread, which is this is a violent act, but we don't want to put a lot of... Yeah, I thought, this isn't, I thought it worked pretty well. They're not going to do a Game of Thrones, you know, spurts of blood for this kid's TV show. So I thought that was a good dodge. Okay. Right when we come back, I'm going to put Trisha on the spot about something. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So, Tricia, you mentioned when we were discussing the bear fight that he was playing possum, which seems like quite an interpretation. Yeah. How'd you know that, that, bud? Because he seemed very hurt and then he was not hurt or not that hurt I see is there something happening here that I don't understand because <laughs> Gre- Greta has a smile on her face that I can't quite comprehend I mean <laughs> do you yeah. is it important to you Greta that this happens <clears throat> yep it is I, I think it's time to come clean I, I have I read the book <laughs> oh <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't oh, help I'm it. Shocked. I couldn't help it. I I've been pretending be for weeks. Yeah. For weeks, Peter. Weeks. You've been pretending. Weeks. When did you read the book? Uh, like over Thanksgiving. Ah. Oh. It, it turns you out it really bothers you trust Greta. People. I know. I know. I feel like a bear. I have been tricked. I've been complicit in the lie, and I don't like it. Oh well, we've all come clean. I'm going to need to take a minute. <laughs> You couldn't, what, you just like, ah, I can't, what couldn't you stand? You couldn't stand me being like, well, yeah, it's probably you being like, you know, the book is a long <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I would drive myself crazy. I would have done it myself if I had to deal with me. But was it, or that, or were you just desperate to find out what happens next? Or it was really, like, it, was a, it was a situation where the circumstances were, I went home for Thanksgiving and my mom was in the midst of reading the book. So there was sitting the copy n- oh, right next to me. How can you resist? And, you know, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm two time zones away from where I normally live. And so I'm staying up later than everybody else. And it's just sitting there staring at me. And so I picked it up and started reading. And then I was like, I'm just going to read up to where we are in the show. And then I don't actually have enough willpower to do that, so I finished yeah, the. At book. that point, you were lost. We know you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, liter- I mean, it's I come by it honestly. In my family, we literally have on many occasions, like whatever date in December, everyone has finished their Christmas shopping. We just wrap and then unwrap all our presents. Like we're just not good. <laughs> yeah, I understand. You're not good at waiting. We're not good at it's waiting. Not, it's not a bobita. That's thing. funny. It's like the anti-procrastination. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so, let's all do it now. Have because rereading the book in my case, Peter really, has so many questions. Yeah, it really changed how I was dealing with the TV show. I'm not sure for the better. So did it change your view of the TV show? 
it did make me really appreciate the world of these stories more because the writing is brilliant and it's really rich and just, you know, the the ways that the two mediums are different, I think, and make, you know, moving a story from one to the other difficult become really apparent because so much of what the narrator can do nimbly and, and artfully in the books is hard to do in the show. It made me sort of, in some ways, more empathetic towards the showrunners because they're trying to take something that I understand even better now why it's so beloved as a piece of fiction and put it in a medium that just isn't a perfect match for the way this story is told. I'm going to call that the higher road. That is a very high road. (laughs) I can almost see it from way down here where I am. (laughs) Should we listen to some audio? Should we listen to Yorick talking to Lyra, renaming Lyra? Mm. You helped me get my kingdom back. You're one of us now, Lyra. And I will give you a new name. You're no longer Lyra Balakwa, but Lyra Silvertongue. Silvertongue. Lyra Silvertongue. Does anyone ever, you hear a Yorick talk, you kind of stick your jaw out and go, No, I, I do, do not do that. No. <laughs> do you do that, Trisha? Um, I don't I don't think I do. I... <laughs> Anybody else does. Right in. <laughs> <laughs> so Yorick takes over Svalbard. He does and immediately leaves, which as Trish knows, he does in the book. And I had the same question. Why is he leaving? <laughs> He just took over, man. You got yeah. things to do. You have like well, orders you know, to give. Yeah. He's got to at least reunite Lyra and Roger. He does. I want to see and... the Bears small council meeting, though. Yeah, there are. Yeah, it would be pretty interesting yeah. to see some more. Uh, yeah, like to learn more about bear leadership. That was one thing I kind of had a gripe with was like Yorick calls Yo for a tyrant. Yes. But like we haven't actually seen any of that. And yeah. I don't know, like it might have been too much work in a scene to actually you know, like that would have taken a lot of time to prove. But it seems like there's there was something they could have done to like actually make it clear that the other bears were miserable under this dude who was so obsessed with becoming a human, essentially. You, in the book, as Trish knows, <laughs> they make a really big deal of how um, Yofer, the tyrant king, has built this palace in the manner Right, because it's humans. not their natural habitat. Yeah, not, the bears don't live in palaces. And they make a big deal of that. And there's this great... Th- there's this great note because he's having them eat their meat inside. All these animals and scavengers have come into the throne room. So he's got this throne room, which is supposed to be a human throne room, but it's covered in bird like, guano uh, yeah. and, and right, animal refuge right. because it's just not right. It's not how bears are supposed to live. And that image in the book totally does what you just asked for to show us why he's such a terrible, right. like it's, tyrannical They're king. all against their nature. Yeah, in this. exactly. Yeah. And then when, oh, what does, what does he do when he says, we shall no longer, we shall now be bears again? What do they do? They take off their helmets. As if that's the problem. But they are yes. armored bears. They're armored bears. They're supposed well, to have their armor. They just wanted to look each other in the face for a second. <sighs> I feel strongly about the armors, the bear, I, the armors. The I ar- can tell. I feel strongly about the bear's armor, the armor of the armored bears. <laughs> you want to try it one more time? Just Greta, I feel strongly <laughs> about the armored bear's armor. There we are. <laughs> we did it. We got there. Our next scene is Mrs. Coulter talking to Father, is it McPhail? I think she calls him McPhail. I think that's another important moment to listen to. Father McPhail, I need to come with you. Have you not listened to anything I've said? You've already endangered enough. I know him. You know I do. I can smell his next move. And I know dust. I've studied it. Please don't deny the magisterium my help. 
I seek only devotion to the Magisterium. The Magisterium has my devotion. You do understand what I'm saying. Lord Hasriel needs to die. Is this not the second time that we've seen Mrs. Coulter plead, cajole, demand a member of the Magisterium to let her continue? We saw it before. There was that scene in that small room yeah. that maybe had the Alethiomer in it. I don't remember. But this is, again, another scene we've seen before, just well, like Lord Boreal and Will's mother. It's a similar scene, but this time they're like, okay, but you actually have to kill that guy. Yeah. Again, you know? Like, I think that's, like, the stakes are increasing. Like, right. mm-hmm. she's asking to be forgiven again, and they're like, all right, but we're going to demand more out of you then. Right. But it puts us in a weird position of, like, relating to this character. Is she someone we should feel sympathy for because she keeps screwing up and getting sidelined and, and, and punished? And thus we say, oh, no, she should get one more chance to do an evil thing, to kill Lord Azrael? Or is she someone, and obviously my bias is towards this, who's supposed to be so powerful and scary, it's not that we're hoping she gets another chance to do her job, it's that we're afraid she will. And I would, I would offer that at this point in this epic, we're supposed to be in the latter position regarding her. I think she's scary because she's not powerful, and we know she'll do anything to get power, hmm. and she's unpredictable. Yeah. And... Yeah, like that's what I think it's actually worse that she doesn't have the power. There's also like because she's seemingly not a witch or some other species, she's, she doesn't have the Serafina Pecola ways of, you know, swooping in and killing a lot of people. And we've now introduced sort of like SWAT team machine guns into the yeah, scenario. Those look, and like those look rather our worldish. Yeah. I'm surprised to see those. Which it also makes sense, though, that like a ruling authoritarian government mm-hmm. would use a window between two worlds just for weapons. Yeah, it's possible. Um, which <laughs> is disappointing, but seems about right. Um, yeah. But, you know, she doesn't seem more powerful in terms of like if they just want him dead. And I guess, you know, that that point might come up where it's like if they just wanted him dead, they could just like clearly drone strike his prison that where he is instead of needing to get close to him. But if they just don't want to also destroy all his research, um, then they yeah. need to someone who can get close to him. And that's her power then is like her womanly wiles will mean that she can get in the room with him because they have this history together as opposed to just blowing everything up with a SWAT team. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all I got to say is, all right, it's working for you. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm 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 uh, doing really like gymnastics to yes. make the show more thoughtful than it might be. <laughs> that I think everybody, I think we all appreciate that. I think the show appreciates it. Yeah. <laughs> what do we have from there? Well, we have the scene with Serafina and uh, oh, Lee yes. Scoresby, Serafina which I've already whinged about. It just, again, it's another conversation in which we are told, because they're talking about her in the third person, how important and wonderful and amazing and central to everything Lyra is, which I've already said is what you do when you're unable to justify that directly. You talk about it. Yeah. Um, And and again, Lee Scoresby's role in all of this is unclear. I don't think he appears in the book. Tricia, you would know better. You read it even more recently than I did. You liar. Um, I don't think Lee Scoresby appears in the book after the balloon crash. I think he's like in uh, Golden Compass. Yeah, I think he's out of the picture because things things proceed without him and his balloon. His balloon is. I crashed. believe so. Yeah. So that scene seemingly was just to let's get some more Lin Manuel, who is our repository of charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get some more Serafina Pecola, which is a repository of really well defined arms. <laughs> um, 
and talk about Lyra because that's what they do. This is the second conversation they've had, and it's the second conversation they've had about how wonderful Lyra is. That's true. Yeah. Trisha, have you started The Subtle Knife yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after that scene, Lyra and Roger ride Yorick yes. to the highest point in the mountain, to Azriel's lab. Yes. And... I want us to be careful not to give away spoilers on it's this tricky. one. It's tricky. But let's listen to the to the scene. I did not send for you. You have to leave. You have to turn around and leave. I did not send for you. I came here to free you. No. No, you have to get out before I... Azrael. Okay, you didn't come alone. Who are you? Watch past us, sir. I work in the kitchens at Jordan College. <laughs> Donald, prepare these children a hot bath and make them some food. Roger Parsler, I am very pleased you came. So, finally, <laughs> we have arrived at a place where I shall not whinge. Because really? I thought that oh, scene, and maybe it's God. James McAvoy. What a relief. I know. I'm relieved, too. <sighs> was just as good, even even better. Because I thought James it McAvoy. was better. Yeah. It's like that is as creepy. That should be as and creepy as it was. And and like unclear what exactly is going on, but like it can't be good. Yeah. And maybe you can oh. guess like what he's been doing up there and why he's happy to see Roger Parslow. But all of that was great. Yay. I have nothing critical to say. Wow, now Trisha's going to be pissed. I love James McAvoy. No? Okay, great. He's great, by the way. He's so good. I'm a big fan of him in lots and lots of things. Yeah. Man, it's just so great to hear both of you say positive things. It was good. And agree with them. Yeah. That's just really exciting. I'm just so happy. I got nothing to say. I'm just like, oh, it was very good. I enjoyed it. It was creepy. It's supposed to be creepy. Maybe there should be something at the top of this episode that's like, and if you you would like to hear people not whinge, skip ahead to minute 44. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it was, it was, it was a, such a positive podcast. It was only four <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> well, that means we've got one episode left. Wow. Which All is right. pretty wild. I, see, <sighs> Trish, you ruined it. I was going to say. <laughs> Peter, well, it was Trisha, not my idea to out myself. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, but. <laughs> you were outed by your friend. <laughs> okay, to but, be clear, <laughs> but you I, did it, though. I was going to say, our, if you hadn't known what's coming next, because you hadn't at that point read the book, would, would you be you... excited to find out what happens in the climax? Yeah. And I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think they obviously set up a very interesting situation between Azriel and the two kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mrs. Coulter is ostensibly on her, on her way with a bunch of weapons. Yes, there might be a big gunfight. That might York be York did say he's hanging around. Yeah. And we know Will, like, that, see, the momentum between those two like this changes between those two worlds makes you think that like something is about to come to a yeah, head they, with they, that We can't well. have spent this much time messing around in our world for there not to be a meeting of the two storylines at the end of this season. There has to be. So, right? yeah, I think that's a pretty promising finale. Yeah, I hope so. I guess we'll find out. We have no choice. So that's our question for everyone listening is as we come to the finale of season one, what do you think is going to happen? What do you hope happens? Whether you've read the books or not, like, we don't know where the show's going to end for the season. And we know there's only two seasons, right? So this is the end coming up of season one. There'll be a season two, and that will span all three of the original trilogy. 
So who knows oh, really? exactly what's going to happen, but what do you want to happen? Yes, leave us a voice memo by recording yourself. Tell us your name, your location, what your demon would be. You can record yourself on your phone and then email it to us at nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. The show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. He's also very good at going back to find things to use against Peter, which I appreciate very much. I've always wanted a nemesis. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sh- Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We are at Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. Trisha is Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. Peter is Peter Sagal. And you can also follow along with the hashtag Nerd at Recaps. All right. See you all next week. You bet. Brendan, sorry I outed you, man. You just, you like outed two of us real hard in this episode. <laughs> I was just going to keep it to myself. I thought I was being real uh, diligent. Right. Note to self, do not involve Greta in any criminal conspiracies. Yeah, no, for you're sure just, not. You're just bad at it. Yeah. Okay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.